Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I will read the first verse, and after you join it with me on the second verse, and continue with me every other verse. That's Luke 9, 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this opportunity to be together together and hear your word. We uh, take value in it, God, and we know that it's, it's so important that we learn and appreciate your word and follow it. We ask that your blessing be upon the pastor as he delivers his message. This we ask in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our study of Luke's gospel, and we're right at the outset of Jesus' trip to Jerusalem. Uh, Thus far, the life and ministry of Jesus over these last several months as we've been studying has been centralized around Galilee in the northern part of Israel, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. But last week, as we saw, the life of Jesus takes a dramatic shift in in verse 51 of Luke 9, where Luke tells us that it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Uh, This will be the trip that Luke writes about from here in chapter 9 all the way to chapter 19. All of that material takes place uh, during this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, about 85 miles to the south. Jesus makes frequent stops along the ways as he continues his preaching ministry in the the cities and towns that he travels through. And this trip will ultimately end with Jesus' death on the cross. And he knew it. He knew that that's what was coming. Uh, This is why he had come to earth to die and to rise again for the forgiveness of our sins. And that mission was about to be accomplished. Uh, Jesus knew that as he headed to the cross, and and he repeatedly uh, tried to warn his disciples that this was what was coming. Uh, This was the end of their journey, was going to be him being killed on a cross. We saw just a couple of weeks ago in Luke 9, verse 44, he had said to them, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Jesus tried repeatedly to tell them this. Uh, Over and over, Jesus told the twelve apostles We're headed to Jerusalem, and when we get there, I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of my enemies. I'm going to be killed, 
and I'm going to rise again the third day. He tried to make this explicit to them on multiple occasions. Here's a few examples from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth, Jesus began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Chapter 17, verse 22. While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Again, in chapter 20, Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. And then again in chapter 26, this is just days before the crucifixion. It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Over and over, he tried to warn them that this really was the purpose for this trip. They were headed to Jerusalem where he was going to die. He was going to fulfill the reason that he had come. And it's with this backdrop of Jesus' impending death that our text takes place. And as we consider these accounts today, I want you to keep in mind what's about to happen. Uh, What is in their future? That Jesus Jesus is headed to Jerusalem uh, where he will be killed. He's going to be killed in just a few months. I've entitled my sermon this morning, A Lesson in Discipleship. We looked last week at Three short stories in Luke in which he highlights the pride of the 12 apostles. If you were here with us, we saw those uh, three very brief accounts that all give basically the same point about humility. Uh, Today, we're going to encounter another set of three brief stories. Each of these are only two verses, and each has the same theme, namely the cost of following Jesus. In each of the three, someone will uh, come to Jesus, and, and they seem willing to become a follower of Christ. And then Jesus seems to discourage them from doing so. He presents some impediment that might uh, prevent them from choosing to follow him. And we need to keep in mind as we look at these accounts that Jesus had access to far more information than we do. Uh, These statements can come across very harsh, like Jesus is just being unreasonable. Uh, But I think in each of these three statements, they were directed at the heart issue of the one to whom Jesus was speaking. Listen to what John wrote of Jesus in chapter 2 of his gospel. It says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew the hearts of men. Uh, He could stand there and speak with someone and know exactly what they were thinking. And so as he rebukes these men today, we need to keep in mind he is doing so knowing the heart of these men. And we see their their statements. We perhaps wonder why is Jesus responding the way he did, but he's addressing specific issues in their lives. Before we jump into our text, I want to define the word disciple. Uh, That may be an unfamiliar word to many. It it simply means a learner, someone who uh, follows a teacher In this case, Jesus. So anyone who followed the teachings of Christ was a disciple in that sense. Uh, We often talk about the 12 disciples, uh, but there were many others. There there were 12 that Jesus chose specifically to be his representatives, his apostles. Uh, But there were at times hundreds of disciples, people that would uh, follow Jesus around as he went from town to town. They would listen to him teach, and they were associated with him in that sense. 
This text is all about following Jesus. If you just glance down in your Bible to verse 57, you'll notice that the man says, "I, I will follow thee. And then in verse 59, Jesus says, follow me. In verse 61, I will follow thee. This is the point of this text. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is the cost associated with following him? And throughout these texts, we'll see that Jesus wanted to warn those who were seeking him of the dangers that would be associated with being a follower of his. It was costly and at times very dangerous to follow Jesus. We're going to start in verse 57 where Luke writes, It came to pass that as they went in the way... Now we need to stop there. What way? What is he talking about? Remember, they're headed to Jerusalem. Uh, They're leaving Galilee. They're crossing over, headed down uh, to Jerusalem where Jesus will die. And so on this road, as they're traveling, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now this man seems like a perfect candidate to be a disciple of Jesus. He comes... He's willing to follow Christ. He even says, I'm willing to follow you wherever you go. Uh, This seems like a a perfect attitude for somebody who's wanting to be a disciple. Matthew's account adds the detail that this man is a scribe. So he would have been also well-educated in Scripture. Again, just a perfect candidate. This would be somebody you would think that Jesus would be very eager to have on his team. But he responds in verse 58. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I'll follow you wherever you go, the scribe had said. And Jesus says, even if you have no home, it's easy to say you'll follow Christ, but a lot harder to continue when you realize what all that entails. Following Jesus is a sacrificial commitment. You won't have the comforts and pleasures of this world if you pursue Christ. And Jesus is asking this man if he understands the opposition that he will face as a follower of Jesus. Jesus had nowhere to call home. He had been raised in Nazareth, but you remember back in chapter 4 when he preached in the synagogue there, the last time he was in Nazareth, they tried to kill him. They took him to a cliff and tried to force him off. He had left Capernaum now and was headed to Jerusalem where he knew that he would be rejected and killed. We saw last week that in Samaria they would not receive him. He was rejected on every hand. Jesus had no place to call home. And so he tells the scribe that following him would mean leaving behind the comforts that he is so accustomed to. And again, I believe that Jesus responded this way because he knew that this was the issue in the heart of this scribe. Uh, Yes, there may have been an interest in Jesus, a a respect for Jesus. He may have been uh, willing to follow Jesus on his terms, but he didn't want to give up the comforts and security that he was accustomed to. He might be an example of the shallow soil from the parable Jesus gave earlier in Luke. You remember, that's the soil where The seed begins to grow, and then as soon as the sun comes out, the plant is scorched because it lacks depth. This man was willing to follow Christ as long as he was comfortable. But Jesus knew that times of persecution and rejection were ahead. So he warns the man that if he really wants to follow him, there is no guarantee of the comforts of this world for a follower of Christ. Verse 59, we're introduced to the next would-be disciple. It says, he said unto another, follow me. So this time, uh, Jesus is the one initiating this relationship. He says to the man, "I I want you to be a follower of mine. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now, there are a few possible uh, interpretations of this text that I want to run through quickly. First is uh, the simple reading of the text. The man's father had just died, perhaps, and needed to be buried. 
And Jesus is saying that the urgent responsibility to preach the kingdom of God was more important right now than this man taking the time to bury his father. Uh, That's one possible interpretation, though I do not believe that that's correct. Jews buried the dead as soon as they had died. If this man's father had just died, he would have been with him and they would have uh, carried him right out to the burial plot. It doesn't seem like that's what's going on here. Another explanation is that the man's father had been dead and buried already. Uh, Recent research suggests that the burial customs around Jerusalem at the time involved a reburying of the bones a year after the initial burial. Once the flesh would have rotted away. At this point, the son would be tasked with the responsibility of taking those bones and putting them in a box that would be set inside a wall of a tomb. And so in this case, if that's the correct interpretation, then Jesus would be rebuking the man for wanting to wait around as long as a year uh, to properly bury his father's bones. However, I think the most likely explanation is that the father was not actually dead yet. Uh, The man was asking to stay with his father until he died so he could bury him. Burying one's parents was a major responsibility for a son. Also, the son may have been waiting there to get his inheritance when his dad died. This is how the phrase is used even in contemporary times in, this, in the region. Uh, saying that you want to bury your father means you're waiting for him to die so you can settle his estate and gain your inheritance. And so Jesus is saying then more important than any of that is preaching the news of the kingdom. Now I have a theory about this man. I can't prove it. But I think he overheard the previous conversation. I think he heard Jesus' response that he doesn't have a home. He has nowhere to lay his head at night. And and so this guy is thinking if he waits for his father to die, he would have some finances to be able to provide for himself as he followed Christ. This then would be an example of the thorny soil from Jesus' parable, the one that's choked with the cares of this world. And that's why Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, referring to the spiritually dead. Let those people that are not a part of my kingdom, let them worry about those temporal things like inheritances. As for you, Jesus says, go and preach the kingdom of God. You be concerned with eternal matters. Forget your inheritance and focus on the urgent need of the hour. Notice the message this man was to preach was the kingdom of God, which of course is the the theme of Jesus' ministry. We've seen this over and over in Luke's gospel, that Jesus preached and proclaimed the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a realm in which Jesus rules and to which those who trust him belong. Jesus had been preaching himself that the kingdom of God had arrived and that the people needed to submit to him as their king. And now the timing could not be more urgent. As he's facing his death, uh, this is sort of a last-minute blitz. He starts to send out preachers. We'll see this next week in chapter 10. When he takes 70 men and he sends them out and says, Go out everywhere and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 61 records the final incident, and each of these three seems to be getting more and more extreme. The sacrifice Jesus is demanding just seems more and more intense as we go. Verse 61, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go, bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Now this seems perfectly reasonable. Uh, This man wanted to follow Jesus, but first he wants to go home and say goodbye to his family. He's willing to follow, knowing that Jesus had no home. He's willing to follow now, not not wait around for his inheritance. But he wants to go home and tell his family goodbye. And Jesus responds to the man in verse 62. And again, I remind you, Jesus knew this man's heart. I think he knew that this man was wrestling with leaving his family behind to follow Christ. And perhaps if he would have gone home to bid them farewell, the pleas of his parents not to leave would have been too much. 
And he would never have even followed. So Jesus says in verse 62, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't plow a field properly if you're looking behind you. It's like trying to drive while looking in the rearview mirror the whole time. That's not going to end well for you. Jesus wants followers who are all in, fully committed disciples. To become a follower of Christ isn't some momentary choice that you make or to pray a prayer or to make some decision for Jesus. No, it is a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And following Jesus is costly. These three stories make that clear. If you're wanting to be a disciple, Jesus wants you to put your hand to the plow and never look back. Serve him and live for him without regard to those things that you've given up. Don't get distracted even by good things that keep you from your responsibility to follow Christ and proclaim his kingdom. And notice here that Jesus says, if if you're unwilling to commit to him in this way, you're not fit for the kingdom. We're, We're not talking here about some higher level of Christian service. We're talking about just being a Christian being a true follower of Christ. Many people think that becoming a Christian means adding Jesus into your life. You basically get to go on uh, living how you want and you just add Jesus into, into the mix. Jesus obliterates any such notions in these texts. You don't follow Jesus on your terms. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about the contrast of costly grace versus cheap grace. Or you could say the contrast between Uh, the biblical gospel and the watered-down version that is proclaimed really all across America today. Bonhoeffer said, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living in incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man his only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. And what has cost cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Following Jesus means leaving something. You can't continue to be all that you were and just add him into your routine. True Christians don't fit Jesus into their other relationships and priorities. He demands to be the first love and highest priority of our lives. That's what Romans 10 means when it says you must confess him as your Lord. He's your master. He now owns us. We do people no favor when we water down the high cost of true discipleship. Uh, Following Jesus means giving him your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And we aren't helping people by winning them to a made-up version of Jesus. When someone seems willing to commit to be a Christian, we should not lead them through some formulaic prayer and pat them on the back. Rather, we should take a page from Jesus' method and tell them to count the cost. Are you sure you understand what it means to repent and surrender to Jesus as your Lord? Uh, Jesus was not eager to take on just anyone 
who was expressing interest in following him. He didn't give them a decision slip to fill out and add their names to the roles quickly. He said, if you're not willing to love me more than your family, more than your comforts, even more than your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus only accepted fully devoted disciples, those who had counted the cost and considered him worth it. In each of these three stories, these men in these verses wanted to follow Jesus with some conditions. But Jesus was not living a comfortable or safe life. He was destined to die in just a few months. And so to follow Jesus at this time meant to risk everything. And so now we come to where we began this morning. Jesus is headed for his death. And if the cross is what was in front of him, anyone who wanted to follow him had to face the reality that the cross may be in their future as well. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said uh, back in, chapter tw- uh, in verse 22 of this chapter, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you see the connection there? Uh, Jesus is headed for death. And anyone who's going to follow him needed to understand they're risking their lives also. Following Jesus was very dangerous at this point, And they needed to count the cost to be certain they were still willing to do this. Have you ever followed someone and regretted it? Followed someone into something you didn't know what you were getting yourself into? I have a brother that's two years older than I am, almost to the day, and we grew up in upstate New York, uh, just north of the Adirondack Mountains, right just a few minutes from Lake Champlain, beautiful area, and uh, we loved the outdoors. Anything we could do outdoors, we were just always outside. Uh, We'd bike, we'd fish, we'd hike, we'd do whatever. And uh, one day we decided, we were teenagers, we decided we're going to kayak a river in our town that fed into Lake Champlain, and this river had some uh, pretty intense rapids, and uh, you might call a couple of uh, waterfalls, you might call them, uh, that we thought would be really fun to kayak over. And so we convinced our dad to let us borrow the kayaks, and we somehow got my mom's permission. To this day, I have no idea. I know we didn't mention the waterfalls. Uh, we left that part out. But we got her permission to do this. And so my mom let us go. She insisted, though, that we wear a life jacket, uh, which we were not happy about because we were good swimmers. It, it seemed unnecessary to us. Uh, but we were just happy she was letting us do it, so, so we went along with it. We kayaked for a couple of hours over some rapids and a small waterfall, nothing too crazy. Then we came upon another waterfall. And the thing about kayaking over a waterfall, you don't really know what it's going to be like until you're over it. You can't really see. You just kind of see that it drops. You have no idea how far, uh, how steep. And so we, we looked at this. We could hear it in the, in the distance. We thought, well, maybe we should check this one out first. Uh, so we pulled over to the shore, and my brother, Tom, went up on land to scout it out and basically see if it was passable. He came back a few minutes later and gave me the thumbs up, and he started back in his kayak uh, to go toward the falls. I was about 30 feet behind him. Now, again, I had not seen the waterfall. I was trusting my brother's judgment at this point. Uh, If Tom said it was okay, it must not be too bad. I remember the moment when I saw his kayak in front of me suddenly turn at a very steep angle in front of me and disappear over the edge, and I instantly knew that we had made a terrible mistake. But at that time... Uh, the current was pulling me toward the edge. There was no way I could get out. And uh, I don't know how far the drop was exactly, but it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we both were knocked out of our kayaks. And Tom was okay because he got knocked clear of the falls. Uh, I somehow fell out right at the bottom of the falls. And if, if you've ever noticed, if you ever look at a waterfall, you'll notice the current underneath. It's just kind of rolling. And so I couldn't get out for about three or four minutes. I was stuck there. 
uh, and it would pull me under the water for a little bit, and then luckily, I was wearing a life jacket. So thank you, Mom. Uh, my life vest would pull me back up to the top, and I'd get a breath, and then it would pull me back under. And I did that for a couple of minutes. Needless to say, after I was finally out of that, I wasn't too happy with my brother. I was regretting trusting his judgment and following him. But that's a picture of what it means to follow someone. Where, where they go, you go. And if they go in a dangerous direction and you're following them, you're in danger as well. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples at this point. Uh, he's headed for the cross. His life was extremely dangerous at this point. He's months away from being arrested and, and uh, scourged and then crucified. And it's in light of that reality that Jesus warns these would-be disciples of the dangers of being a follower of his. Jesus had warned his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you're following Jesus, you can expect to be treated the same way that, that he was treated. He was hated, he was rejected, he was persecuted, and ultimately killed. And those who dared to associate with him were doing so at their own risk. Again, Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 21, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And ye shall be betrayed, both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. This type of call to follow Christ reminds me of the early 20th century. Ernest Shackleton is said to have put this ad out when he was looking for a crew. Uh, maybe you've heard of this. He traveled to the South Pole. And uh, he put this, this ad out in a newspaper that said, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Jesus was perfectly honest with those who wanted to follow him about what the dangers were that they might face. Now, let's acknowledge at this point that for us in 21st century America, uh, the cost of following Christ is not quite the same as it was for them. Uh, most of us don't have to really worry about being tortured or killed like many of these disciples were. Uh, we may still have a place to call home. We, we may not need to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel here in America as many of them did. But that doesn't mean there's no cost. Uh, following Jesus has a cost. Anyone who thinks it doesn't isn't following Jesus. Jesus made clear up front what the cost was. He did not want anyone to make this decision lightly without understanding the consequences of their choice. In our country today, some, some of us may very soon experience real opposition from our government. Right now, we are being shamed for holding to biblical views on issues like the murder of the unborn, gender, and sexuality. We may be faced with decisions about whether to cave on our convictions and water down our stand, or to stand strong on the biblical teachings and face the consequences. And when persecution begins to heat up, it tends to weed out the less committed followers of Jesus, those who are just uh, kind of there for the fun times and uh, haven't truly counted the cost. Those who are interested in him, but only as long as they're able to hang on to their comforts and securities. And as the costs of being a follower of Jesus rise, those who follow Jesus for the wrong reasons will inevitably fall away. 
But the true Christians, those who are willing to lose everything for him, they will take up their cross and follow. That's the good soil. The one that endures the persecution, the one that doesn't get distracted by the thorns, the cares of this world. Uh, but, but the seed lands and grows and produces fruit. So the question each one of us needs to ask is, how attached are we to these temporal things? Uh, what if following Jesus means losing friends and family? Being ostracized by a society that scorns your biblical convictions? What if following Jesus means not living as comfortably as you desire, even uh, sacrificing financially for the kingdom purposes? What if following Jesus becomes dangerous for you? Jesus invites us to count the cost and consider if we're truly willing to commit to following him. I want to close this morning by asking a simple question. Maybe you're wondering it. Why would anyone follow Jesus? If this is the cost, if if this is really uh, what we have to look forward to, if this is the, the demands of being a true disciple of Jesus, what compels someone to do that? I want to read 2 Corinthians 5.14, where I think Paul gives us the answer. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, or compels us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love Jesus had for us, that's what compels us to love him in response. Uh, We love him because he first loved us. Paul is saying here, if Jesus died for you, you ought to live for him. If he was willing to walk that road to the cross for me, the only fitting response to such love is for me to follow right behind him. Father, I do pray that as each one of us considers these weighty matters and these hard sayings that you gave, that we would count the cost and consider right now if we're truly in this as a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, or are we going to fall away in times of temptation, times when things get difficult? God, I pray that you would help us to grow strong in our faith and in our convictions. God, I pray for each one of us as the the days may be getting darker ahead of us. We don't know what's coming in the future, but there are certainly some signals that persecution and at least oppression and opposition from our culture and from our world is certainly on on our way in a way that hasn't really been a reality for us. Most of my life, there's really not been much opposition to being a Christian. It's been culturally acceptable, but now that's becoming less and less the case. God, I pray that each one of us would stand strong in what we believe, We would stand strong in following you despite the cost. That we would deny ourselves. That we would be willing to take up that cross. And ultimately, because you did so for us. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to offer us forgiveness and a new life in him. Pray for anyone in this room, God, who maybe has not made the decision to follow Jesus and to give him their life. I pray that you would prick their heart, God. Convict them. And show them their need for a Savior. Show them their sin and the fact that Jesus died for them to take away their sin. And that if they would just trust in his sacrifice and repent, turn from their sin and from living their own life and surrender to your Lordship, that that they could be forgiven. They could have eternal life. And I pray, God, that the love of Christ would be before us, that it would drive everything that we do. That as we think about sacrifices and things that we do for you in, in this life, God, that we would understand that we're giving you back nothing compared to what you've given for us. You, you paid the ultimate sacrifice. You gave your life for us. And so we ought to live for you in response. I pray that each one of us would take this challenge to heart, to be a committed, fully, uh, fully 
committed disciple of Jesus to count the cost and to consider you worth it. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.